Chapter Ten of the Meadow Sprite and Other Tales of Modern Germany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kaeri, Tokyo. The Meadow Sprite and Other Tales of Modern Germany. The Waters of Forgetfulness by Rudolf Baumbach, translated by Gertrude R. Schottenfels. In the chamber of the round tower, which was decorated with all sorts of sportsmanlike trophies, such as antlers, weapons, and wings of wild birds, sat a young man in a wooden armchair. He was twisting a bowstring out of the sinew of a marten and singing a merry hunting song as he worked. He wore a hunting suit, and his closely cropped hat told the fact that he was a servant in the employ of the owner of the castle. His name was Hans. Overhead, a swinging hoop was attached to the ceiling, and in it sat a hooded falcon with its wings tied together. Every once in so often, the hunter paused in the midst of his work to set the slowly swinging hoop in swift motion. He did this so that the falcon might not fall asleep, as it was a nestling which he was training for the chase, and the first step in training a hunting falcon was to discipline him for hunger and sleeplessness. Hans was the Count's falconer, and the old gentleman had kept him more than busy. But in these latter days he was having an easier time. The old Count no longer went hunting. No, indeed. For the last year he had lain still and silent in a stone sarcophagus decorated with his coat of arms. And his widow, the Lady Adelaide, sat all day long in prayer with the old chaplain, and had no thoughts for the chase. But today the countess was weary of the unceasing prayers and came out of her retirement, wandering for the first time all over her estate. The song of the lusty huntsman must have seemed a welcome change from the monotonous psalm-singing of the chaplain, for she followed the sound of the voice until she reached the falconer's room in the tower. Hans looked astonished when he saw the haughty lady in her mourning veil and sombre garments. He arose and bowed to the ground. Lady Adelaide's bright eyes beamed on the slender young man, and she smiled graciously, so graciously that her smile seemed to him as bright as the sunshine of May. She asked him many questions regarding the training of falcons and the chase, and when she went away she gave him such a searching look that he blushed and turned away his head like a bashful maid of fourteen. Not many days afterward, Lady Adelaide, mounted on a snow-white palfrey, rode through the forest. But this time she was not dressed in mourning. She wore a green velvet riding habit, and instead of a widow's veil, she had on a sable hat with long waving plumes. Behind her, with a grey falcon on his wrist, rode Hans the falconer, whose eyes seemed to shine for joy. They had already ridden quite a distance, and the turrets of the castle had long since disappeared behind the broad branches of the tree-tops when Lady Adelaide turned her head and said, Right beside me, Hans. Hans willingly did as she was bade. The path was narrow, and the countess' riding habit brushed against his knee as they rode along. The trees rustled lightly, the chaffins sang, and occasionally a timid squirrel or rabbit would leap across their path and disappear among the bushes. At times the crackling of the bushes could be heard, as some larger denizen of the forest crashed its way through the thick underbush, 
or twigs rustled as some startled bird fluttered noisily among the boughs and then all was still again and then the countess turned to the falconer and smilingly said let me see hans if you're a clever huntsman dearest huntsman give me light what soars higher than falcon or kite and without stopping to think hans answered high flies the falcon high the kite yet the eagle soars to a greater height good laughed the lady adelaide and asked the second riddle dearest huntsman tell me true what soars higher than eagles do the falconer thought a few moments ere he replied higher than eagles fly their streams the golden sunlight's glowing beams the countess nodded her head approvingly come you're doing fine and then she asked the third one dear sir hide it not from me what higher than the sun can be but hans had reached his intellectual limit and could think of no suitable response then the gracious lady drew rein leaned over toward him and whispered softly as high as heaven the sun's gold ball yet love true love soars over all and then she kissed him two nutpeckers on swift blue wings fluttered out of the hazel bushes and flew chirping into the forest eager to relate what they had seen and next morning the sparrows nesting neath the castle eaves twittered to each other twee tweet twee ee ee the lady loves hans faithfully yes indeed it was a happy time for hans he allowed his hair to grow in long golden ringlets to his shoulders a custom not permitted to servants and wore silver spurs and a heron's feather in his head and such dreams as he indulged in he spent hours building castles in the air each more beautiful than the last he did not obtain a castle however but a splendid forester's lodge with endless urns gable and broad fields and meadows round it was given to him for life and there he reigned as district forester and when the lady adelaide came thither to visit he would hasten to his doorway to wave his head at her then he would lift her from the saddle and set milk and honey and bread on the table before her and thus the summer autumn and half the winter passed then came carnival time many guests from surrounding estates came thither and the castle looked almost like an inn the forester hans sat alone and lonely in a secluded lodge only occasionally did any of the gay doings at the castle reach his ears at last came tidings which were anything but joyful to hans lady adelaide was going to be married so ran the tale and it sounded like a death knell to the young man's ears he locked his house and made his way toward the hill leading to the castle all the while muttering something between his teeth which did not sound like a prayer as he reached the foot of the hill where the winding path began to lead upward he heard hoof-beats and a silvery love which pierced his soul like a two-edged sword down the pathway came the countess riding his snow-white palfrey and at her side was a splendid-looking man in rich attire who rode a coal-black stallion and never took his eyes from the face of the beautiful lady at his side the heart of the young hunter gave a wild throb but he controlled himself and seating himself on a stone near the path he assumed the posture of a beggar and as the pair approached him he sang as high as heaven the sun's gold ball yet love 
True love soars over all. The haughty knight drew rein and reached toward the singer with his whip, asking his companion, What does he mean? Who is the man? The countess turned pale, but quickly collecting her wits, replied, A crazy hunter! Come, let us go on. I shudder at his very presence. The knight loosened his purse and tossed a gold piece to Hans, who was quite near to him. Hans cried aloud and threw himself face downward on the ground. Then the two put spurs to their horses and rode quickly away. The hoof-beats had long died away into silence before Hans raised himself from the ground. He wiped the dust and dirt from his face and pulled his hat over his eyes and went back into the forest. He kept on walking, avoiding the beaten paths until night fell. Then he threw himself down under a tree, wrapped himself in his coat, and, utterly worn out, fell asleep. And there he lay, sleeping the dreamless dream of exhaustion, till the cold air of morning awoke him. But as soon as he arose, all his bitter grief came crowding back into his mind, like a diabolical apparition. "'Oh, if I could only forget it! If I could only forget it!' he cried aloud. "'There's a burn somewhere, in which there lies a spring, of those waters one has only to drink, to have all memory of the past fade from his mind. Who can show me the way to the spring?' "'I can,' said a voice near him. "'I am well acquainted with the waters of forgetfulness, "'and such information as I possess is at your service.' Hans looked and saw a young fellow in ragged black hooves, whose bare toes peeped inquisitively out of his worn-out shoes. He claimed to be a vagrant student, who were common enough figures four hundred years ago. They were students who wandered around from one university to another, without any definite occupation or settled abode. This one continued. The water which causes forgetfulness is called Leite, and is to be found in Greece. Thither you must journey, and you will find out the particulars on the spot itself. If you would attain forgetfulness with less trouble to yourself, come with me to the sign of the blue grapes, which lies not far from here. The hostess of the tavern will offer you so much forgetfulness that your purse will become hardly less flat than mine. Thus spake the vagrant. Hans raised himself and followed him to the forest inn. There they drank to each other's health all day long and half the following night. As they lay together in perfect harmony at midnight, on the bench behind the stove, Hans had indeed forgotten everything which oppressed and troubled him. However, with the first grey streaks of dawn, he awoke to all the bitterness of the past and a raging headache beside. He settled his and his companion's score, and bidding the letter curd farewell, took his departure. Oh, if one could only forget, he said, as he went along, striking his forehead with his fist. I must find the spring, otherwise I shall indeed take leave of my senses. On the road there was an old half-dead willow, and on the willow sat the raven, who turned his head to gaze attentively at the lonely wanderer. You world-wise bird, said the huntsman, you know everything that happens upon earth. Tell me, pray, where flow the waters of forgetfulness? I only wish I knew, answered the raven, so that I myself might drink of them. I knew of a nest in which there were seven fat dormice, which had been raised on nuts, and yesterday, when I went to see how the dear, toothsome little creatures were getting along, 
when I got there. Whom should I meet but the marten, just coming away from the nest? And as I live, not one single morsel of those dear little dormice was to be found. And now, no matter where I go or stay, I am reminded of what I missed. I can't get those nice fat little dormice out of my head. Yes, who knows where to find the waters of forgetfulness. But do you know one thing, young man? Go to the witch of the forest, who is said to know more than all the rest of creation put together. It is possible that she is also acquainted with the spring of forgetfulness. Hans thanked him and started off to find her. The witch was at home. She sat in front of her hut spinning, and as she spun, her white head kept knit-knit nodding. Near her sat a grey tomcat with grass-green eyes, washing his paws and purring contently. The young man walked up to the old woman, whom he greeted with great respect, and then stated his business. "'I do indeed know the spring of forgetfulness very well,' said the witch. "'Nor shall I withhold the drink from you, if you really desire it, my poor boy. But as you no doubt have heard before, no work, no pay. Therefore, if you wish a glass of this costly beverage, you must first perform three tasks, which I shall impose on you. Will you?' "'If I can,' he answered. Never fear, I shall ask nothing impossible of you. You must cut down the trees in the woods behind my house. That is the first thing. Hans could do this right well. The witch gave him an axe and led him to the spot. He at once set to work. He tried to imagine that every swing of his axe was a blow dealt at his rival. The trees felt groaning to the ground beneath the lusty strokes of his axe and every groan they emitted did his heart good. Thus evening came on, and Hans began to think about getting something to eat, since he was becoming very hungry. He had not long to wait, for a young girl came out of the hut, carrying a basket of food and drink, which she set before the tired woodchopper. As Hans raised his eyes, he beheld the beautiful figure with flowing golden hair, which glistened in the last rays of the setting sun. She was the witch's daughter. She looked at the gloomy young woodsman with gentle eyes and paused a moment before him. But as he said nothing, she went away again. Then Hans fell upon the meal with great relish. Afterward he lay down on the bed of moss and pine boughs which he had gathered and fell into a dreamless sleep. But when he awoke next morning, the memory of his pain awoke too. Thereat he seized his axe, attacked the tree trunks with such force that his lusty strokes echoed through the woodland as far as one could walk in an hour. And in the evening, when the pretty girl brought him his food, Hans did not look quite so gloomy as he had the previous day. And because he felt that he must say something, he remarked, "'Pleasant weather today, isn't it?' And she answered, "'Yes, lovely weather.' nodded in a friendly manner, and returned home. Thus, seven days passed by, one just like the other, and on the seventh day the last tree was felled. The witch came, praised him for his industry, and said, Now for the second task. He must dig out the roots, plough the ground, and sow the fruit and grain. This took him seven weeks. Each evening after his work was done, the witch's daughter brought him food, 
she sat beside him on a fallen tree and listened with shining eyes while he told her tales of the outside world and when he had finished she would hold out her white hand and say good night dear hans then she would return to her dwelling and hans would throw himself upon his bed of boughs and instantly fall asleep when seven weeks had passed the witch came round to inspect his work she was well satisfied and praised his diligence ending with now comes the third and last task out of these fallen trees you must build me a nice house with seven rooms and when you shall have finished that you may have your cup of forgetfulness and go where you please sir hans became an architect and with axe and saw built a splendid house but it was very slow work and took him seven whole months for he had no workmen to assist him however he was neither discouraged nor displeased since he really liked the cool green forest and willingly would have remained with his present taskmaster for ever occasionally he would think of his former grief but only as one thinks of a bad dream from which one is glad to be awakened every evening the golden-haired daughter came to him with his meal and after he had eaten it they would sit on the fallen trees and sing together merry hunting songs and songs of partings misunderstandings and reunions thus seven months rolled by and at length the house was finished from the threshold to the gable hans planted a young fir tree on the gable according to custom and the girl made wreaths of fir boughs twined with red ash berries with which she decorated the walls then the old witch came hobbling along on her crutch the tomcat on her shoulder to view his finished work she looked very festive and in one hand she held a cup carved out of wood and filled with the drink of forgetfulness well you have completed the free tasks i imposed on you she said and now for your reward this is the cup for which you longed take it and when you drain the last drop all memory of the past will disappear from your mind the huntsman stretched his hand out for the cup then hesitated drink said the witch and forget everything as you desired everything yes every single thing your former grief myself and me too interrupted her pretty daughter shielding her eyes with her hand that he might not see her tears thereat the young man seized the cup and threw it with such force to the ground that it broke into pieces and the glistening drops lay on the ground like dew and he cried mother i stay with you and before he well knew how it happened he had the girl's head on his shoulder and she was sobbing for joy and the trees rustled their approval joyously the green corn waved in the breeze the birds warbled a blithe refrain and the old grey cat walked around and round the happy pair purring in sweet content and now dear children i could easily tell you that the witch changed into a beautiful fairy her daughter into a charming princess and the good substantial house of wood into a magnificent palace you might perhaps like it better but since i prefer to stick to the truth we will have to leave things as they are still something wonderful did happen after all wherever a drop of the waters of forgetfulness fell upon the ground there sprang up a tiny flower with eyes of heavenly blue and a heart of gold and wherever one was seen countless numbers soon sprang up and in time they spread all over the land and if you do not know the name of this blue flower 
I fear you're not one of those for whom the story was written. End of chapter 10